you to bless this evening, guide and lead us, show us what you would want us to see from this section of scripture that we're looking at, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Jude, chapter one. <laughs> I'm going to go back and read the verse that we covered last week because it is the foundation for the verse that we're going to cover today. So, starting at verse 11. Woe unto them that have gone the way of Cain, and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. These are spots in your feasts of charity. When they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withered, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out of their own shame, Wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. So let me take a look at this because this is kind of an interesting statement. So he starts out by talking, and we're not going to cover Cain, Balaam, and Korah again this week. They're not nice people. If you want to read their stories, go back to the Old Testament and read their stories. We covered all that last week or listened to last week's message on, online. Uh, so we have that going on. He says, these are spots in your feast of charity. Now the feast of charity were their love feasts, their, their Lord's Supper events that they had, their, their, their meeting together after the services that they would have. But the word for spots is kind of an interesting word in the, in the Greek. It is rocks in the sea that are just at the level. They're, they're coral reefs, basically. And they would be set up that they would damage and cause wrecks. So he's telling them that he's telling them these type of people in your church are ones that are going to bring your moral decay, your, your tearing of people down. And, you know, it is very interesting that all churches have people like this that are out there. They, they're never happy with anything the church is doing. Now, whether they're Christians or not, I'm not going to make those comments. But they're always there criticizing everything and usually not in a productive way. They're just gossiping and complaining behind the scenes and people listen to them. And before long, and especially on a large church, they can hide really easy. The smaller the church is, the harder it is for them to, to hide for long. But on, these, on a big church with you know, hundreds or thousands of people, it's easy to kind of uh, sabotage what's going on by just getting enough people to disagree and then all of a sudden there's this wave of protest coming out and you're going like, where did all this come from all of a sudden? And it's because of these type of people that are out there just not happy. And this is the way it is with the way we are as human beings because we have a fallen nature. We tend to complain about things. And we don't usually complain to the right people that can make things happen or at least explain what's going on and this happened even in Jesus, when Jesus was going, you know, he'd say something and all of a sudden the next thing you know it says, and all the people left him. Yeah. And it's kind of an amazing thing, you know, we've got so many pastors in today's world saying all the things that people want to hear so they can have a large church, and they avoid the hard messages of the gospel so they can have a large church. And Jesus, who is our example, said the hard things, and if people didn't like it, it's like, okay, well, if you don't like the, if you don't like the truth, then go, you know, go someplace else. 
and behind the scenes then is people then grumble and gripe about you. Well, you know what that pastor says over there, you know, you, he, that, he, he's always talking about sin and calling us sinners and telling us that we need Jesus and all these other things and, and causing problems within the area. And this is what happens. He says, these are spots, traps that are submerged that look like good sailing areas unless you watch really careful. And this is one of the things that the seamen would do. They'd have watchers on, on the, all over the ship looking for enemies, number one, but also looking for places where the water didn't just act correctly. Well, that's because it's not a great translation. It's for spots. Uh, but, but the idea is that it was something that would cause problems, spots, in, in, their, in their feast. But the Greek word literally is this kind of a sandbar, coral, causing damage. And so he says, these people, the people like Cain and Korah and Balaam. And remember, we talked about each one of them had different things. Balaam, uh, Cain, just didn't like the fact that he was rejected. He thought he was doing right. Balaam was seeking after money. Korah was seeking after recognition. And I've seen each one of those in, in churches at times. You know, probably one of the hardest ones are those like Korah that are seeking recognition. I didn't get what I think I deserved. I should have. I should be. I should be deacon, I should be usher, I should be, you know, the treasurer, I should be whatever. And working at all of these things, and they, they can be your hardest problems. Then you got the people like Balaam, they're just greedy, trying to use God's work and ways to get money. And that, unfortunately, is seen a lot with our televangelists and everything, trying to you know, use their position to make money. And it's like, it bothers me when I see that. And then Cain, who's just not happy with not doing things God's way and, and being, being, being called out, in his case, by God. So we have these people and he goes, these are spots on your feast of charity or feast of love. And these were their times of communion where they would do a, a Lord's Supper and, and all of that. He says, and all of these people really shouldn't be there. Uh, but we don't know who they are, unfortunately, in, in most cases. Because very rarely are these type of people going to come out and directly attack a leader. Korah rose up a whole bunch of people to, to be on his side, 120 elders of Israel. And then, after he had a whole bunch of people, then he decided to go confront Moses. Moses, this is not, just not me. Look at all these people behind me you know, that, that agree with me that you shouldn't be doing this. And at that point, it's really sometimes hard to get, get it taken care of because all of a sudden there's all these people that have been listening to the complaints, listening to the griping. And this is why it's very important to us not to listen to gossip, not to listen to people griping. Because we may think, well, it's not, it's not true. I know that it's not true. But you know, if you hear the same comment over and over again, it starts to eat away at your confidence. And the problem is sometimes that person who started it with you told us three or four other people who then told you, and all of a sudden one person's the only person being repeated. But it does 
get into you. And if you've ever think about it, when you hear something negative, even if you don't believe it, it puts a little poison in your brain. And then somebody else says something that's like, well, now this is the second time I've heard this. Uh, maybe there's some truth in it. Then a third or fourth person tells you. And it starts really eating away where you're at. So we're better off not listening at all. Just you know, not listening at all. Point them back to the person. If they want to complain, tell them to go complain to the person who they're complaining about. All right? Uh, my answer to most people when they want to tell me something is, okay, I'm fine, but we're going to go talk to them. You can tell me whatever you want as long as they're present. And I've, over the years, I've had zero people take me up on that offer. <laughs> they don't want to talk about somebody in front of the person who can make the statement of what really happened. They just want to cause problems. And it doesn't take me too long to get out of the gossip circles because I don't like to listen to the, to the gossip. And, you know, and the thing we've got to be able to understand, number one, it's gossip even if it's true. If they can't say it in front of somebody, it's still gossip. Even if there's truth in it that needs to be spoken in front of the person who's being talked about and be able to lift it up. And then it's fine. If you want to tell me anything, you, you can tell me anything you want as long as that person's here. But I don't want to hear about how bad, awful somebody is when they're not there. It wouldn't be nothing on TV. Wouldn't be a whole lot of conversations, period, in some cases. But we're told in the scriptures that we're to build up and edify somebody. So tell me all you want that's good behind their back. I don't care. But I don't want to hear negative behind somebody's back because it's going to set up a problem. It sets up negativity in, in your mind. It sets up problems, and especially if they're a leader. And for me, I don't even want to hear bad things about other pastors, because I'm not in charge of their church. I, I have nothing to do with them, and I have to be very careful when I, even when I get to know these pastors and see what's going on in their church. It's still my, my job to judge their church because they stand or fall before God. And we have to really understand this about other people. When we want to judge other people, it's not our business, unless we have some kind of relationship. Now, if we're the parent of a child, we, can, we have a different relationship. Uh, if you're the boss with your employees, you have a different relationship as long as it has work-related issues. But we cannot go around just judging each other and saying, you know, well, you know what you did, you, you're terrible. You know. That's terrible. Yeah. You know, if you're going to do it, make sure you tell them, not somebody else. And then they can listen to you or not listen to you. And it is a really difficult thing at times. But you also, it doesn't take you long to know who the spots are around you, who they are that are causing you problems. You, know, you start listening to everything they're saying, and they're always talking bad about people, talking bad about the church, talking bad about a pastor or a teacher, you know, start saying, uh, no, it's, it's not where it's going to go. But it's hard. It really is hard. But we need to be looking at edifying. It hasn't happened in recent days, but it used to be happening even in this church before Sunday morning, people would start talking about things. I'm going, okay, we're, we're getting into gossip here. And 
You know, even after I said that, most people didn't stop, and then I'd just leave the room <laughs> because I wasn't interested in hearing all of it. You know, but are we working in love? Are we looking to edify people? And this is part of what it's that he's looking at. He says that your feast, when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. How many times do people sin without even fearing the consequence of their sin? Now, we do all the time, and even in ourselves. But this is even worse. They're not even feeling the conviction of it as far as what he's saying. They've seared their conscience. They are causing problems. They are working around without fear of reproof. Now, I know one thing. When I go out and I do anything that is sinful, I immediately feel guilty. And God is putting it on. Now, it doesn't mean I always stop. <laughs> it doesn't always mean that I go right to repentance, but I feel the conviction very quickly. And he's saying these people don't even feel that fear. They're not even being stopped. Korah, with all of his attack, did not feel the attack. The, the fear. Balaam didn't feel, didn't have any fear until the donkey started talking to him. You know, and he, he knew better because God said you can only go with them if they ask. And so first thing he gets up, he wakes up and he goes with them. And there's no indication that they asked. You know, and all we see all through these, every time we see these people not walking after God, there doesn't seem to be this fear of God. The fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. And we've got to make sure we understand that fear drives us to God and drives us into his will. And if we don't feel that fear for sinning, then things happen. And sin never just affects the individual sinning. And in a group, their sin will affect the rest of the group in some way. Maybe not directly, maybe, but it'll be indirect. Their, their judgment will end up causing problems for the group and, and everything. And this is what he's saying. They, they sin. They're clouds without water. Now, we kind of understand this. We're not quite as dependent upon rain clouds as they were back then. But we live in the desert. How many times do we see clouds, even dark clouds, that do not bring no rain? Water. Yeah, they don't bring us any rain. They go someplace and maybe drop their rain someplace else, but we don't see the rain. In their day, they needed that rain. Unless they had an oasis right there, they needed the rain. Now, we just drive our cars to the nearest uh, well, fill up our tanks and drive back. <laughs> or, you know, if you're in a city or something, you just turn the tap on and there's water. doesn't matter what the clouds do to us. They had a much tighter relationship. And then this is what he's saying. They are like clouds out there. They look good. They look promising. And they don't drop the water upon you. Which is a pretty big deal in, in, that, in, their, in their day. And he says, and this is kind of interesting. Uh, and those clouds are carried about the wind. They are trees whose fruit withers without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. They look he goes, originally they look good. They don't produce any fruit. And if you're trying to produce a tree for fruit and it doesn't produce fruit, what are you eventually going to do with it? You're going to cut it out 
and put a new tree in its place and hope that you have some fruit. Now, if you're planting a shade tree, that's one thing. You just want a nice big tree with shade. But if you planted it for shade and it doesn't start sprouting out all kinds of leaves and branches, you're going to cut it out and put a tree in there that's eventually going to turn to shade. And he goes, these are trees with no fruit. This is very important for us as Christians because what are we supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be producing fruit, spiritual fruit. We are to build one another up. We're to edify. We're to eventually be teachers of other people. And this is something that is critical. It's very distressing to see Christians who have been Christians for decades that don't know the word of God, that cannot say something sound to any other Christian. You know, and I've, over the years I've seen it, where people speak like the world rather than like God's word. Not that we'll ever get it down perfect, and some people will never be great teachers, but our counsel needs to be godly counsel. And this is very important. You know, how much godly counsel do we get when we seek for help? Or do we get the world's counsel? And it's easy to get the world's counsel, just ask anybody. You know, ask the television, ask, you know, ask the movies, ask the magazines. You know, ask just about anybody. And unfortunately, so much counsel, even in church, is worldly counsel, worldly fruit. And we need to be careful. When, we're lo- when people are looking at us for help, we need to make sure that we're speaking something that is God's counsel. This is what God says in his word. Because we're not going to hear it very often, and if we can't hear it at the church, we're in trouble. And this is one of the things that has made me sad over the years is there are people that actually believe in church that there's questions you can't ask in church. I don't buy that. I want people to ask questions in church, because if you can't ask your questions in church, where are you going to ask them? You know, and I've heard him, and you know, something like, how do, I, how do you know there's a God? I have actually seen teenagers and young Christians shut down. How could, you, how could you ask that question? Well, because it's a legitimate question for anybody who thinks. How do I know? Let's give you the reasons. You know, how can I know that creation is correct and not evolution? And people panic you know, and not get ready to answer those questions. I think it's very important if we can't answer questions in church, we've got a problem. If we're afraid of questions in church, we've got a problem. God is a very logical creator of this world who gave us a mind to think with. And he is not afraid of questions. That's why he gave us the Bible, which has almost all the answers we need in the first place. Then he gave us an inquisitive mind that can look at science and, and philosophy true science and true philosophy and match it to the word of God and say, here's the proof for these activities. I, think, I find it wonderful when, when psychologists and, and sociologists actually get something right once in a blue moon. And when they're right, it matches the Bible. And it's like, I could have saved you a whole lot of time by just telling you what the Bible said, but I'm now glad that you figured a scientific experiment to prove what God says. The unfortunate thought is, problem is, though, 80 to 90 percent of the time, they come up with stupid stuff that doesn't match God's word. You know, and it's like, uh, well, you need to go back and redo your study because it's not right. You know, because it doesn't match what God says. 
So we need to be able to say, this is what is true, and be able to counsel one another with God's word. Now, why don't we give God's word to most people? Well, because we know that that's not what they want to hear. They want to have their ears tickled. You know, yeah, I know that this is what God says, but, you know, this is, this is the way the world thinks. We know that God hates divorce, but, you know, your situation is just so bad that God will understand. Yeah, well, God will understand. His grace will cover you, but you're still in violation to his will. You know, when we look at just about anything, people who don't want to give tithe, their tithe, you know, well, God understands. He doesn't need your money anyway. He understands that you don't have enough faith to trust him, but you just give what you want to give and you'll be okay. Well, you know what? God says he wants 10% of our time, money, everything about us. And if we make it anything less, God will give us grace. He will honor that. But he says, this is what I said. Are we willing to take what he says and apply it? It's sometimes not easy. Most of the time, it's not easy. Sometimes it will get us in trouble with the world. You know, I've, I've said it many times, eventually I'm probably going to get fired at work because I talk about God. Now, I usually wait for somebody to ask me something about God first. <laughs> Once they ask me, I go and tell them more than they wanted to know, more than their question wanted to know for an answer. But there's going to be somebody at some point that's going to get offended, and I might get in trouble. But I cannot stop and not give God's word. And, you know, hopefully I'm not all that offensive. offensive. I try to be very gentle at work. Much more gentle than I would be outside of work. But I still try to be gentle even outside of work. But in there I try to be very cautious because my job is not to preach. My job is to teach computers and do tests. <laughs> uh, but given the opportunity and somebody says, talks to me about God, I'm not going to be silent about what God says about something. And so that's going to be an issue. In our day and age, it's real easy to irritate people because God's word is different from what the world, what's going on in the world. You know, just little things like homosexuality, living together, transgenderism, uh, you know, uh, not obeying God, having any way to heaven that you want to believe, you know, just, just a few minor things that, that we can easily get into trouble with when we take God's stand. Now, I'm never going to tell anybody that they can't do what they want. They have the right to do what they want. But God says it's wrong, and if it's sin, it'll lead to hell if they don't repent and accept Jesus Christ. So it's easy to get them irritated at you because as soon as you tell them it's wrong, they're saying you're judging them. I'm going, I'm not judging you all. I'm just telling you what God says. God will be your judge, not me. And it's important that we understand we are not anybody's judge. And to be honest, we're not even our own judge. All we can do is say, God, help me to obey your rules. Because if we start judging ourselves, we're in trouble because we're always more critical on, our, you know, usually more critical on ourselves because we know that we know better. We can be giving other people a lot more grace than we usually give ourselves. And I know I could do that to myself because sometimes I sin knowing that I'm sinning. 
And so I can be really hard on myself. But God's grace is what's important. Not that there isn't going to be consequences, and we've said this over and over, there's always consequences for sin. Always. Even though we will be forgiven, even though he will say, okay, I accept your, your, your apology and your confession, but there is a consequence. David had a consequence for his adultery with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah that the sword never left his family. And he had sons rebel against him, trying to take his kingdom away. That's quite a consequence. You know, quite a consequence for his sin. Over and over, if you look at the scriptures, there's always consequences for sin. And God uses people. He continues to use them because it's by his grace that they're used in the first place. And but there's a consequence. And we need to recognize that even when, if we sin, God will forgive us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and justice to forgive us of all unrighteousness. But that does not mean there won't be consequences. There's always consequences. And this is the problem. You know, how are we? What is the fruit that we're producing? And then if we're not producing fruit, eventually that tree gets plucked up and burnt in, burnt in the fire and taken out. We don't want to be that tree that doesn't produce. And how do we do that? We are engrafted into the root, Jesus Christ. And this is the beautiful thing. Jesus said, I am divine, you are the branches, without me you will not produce fruit. All we do is we get engrafted into the root and we will produce fruit because the, the root is what is responsible for giving us the nutrition to live. You know, that vine sitting out there producing whatever it's producing, <laughs> Watermelons, cantaloupe, uh, you know, cucumbers, tomatoes, whatever it is, that vine doesn't do anything. It just produces because it gets the nutrition from the root. As soon as you cut it off from the root, it doesn't produce anything. It withers and dies. And we need to be engrafted into Jesus Christ so that we can produce fruit and learn to just rest. Faith rest is what we're looking for in the vinyl bit. All I do is I get saved and God does the work. You know, and I've said this before, you know, I've heard Christians all the all over and over in the years saying, well, I'm really trying hard. I'm striving to be a good Christian. And I've told everybody that will say that in my presence, quit trying. Die to yourself and let God live through you. And when we do that, we will be changed. We get changed by surrendering to God, and he changes us. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of good works. I look good on the outside, but I'm dead on the inside. There is no feeding of my body, my soul. might be doing lots of good things. And I've seen lots of people doing lots of good things. You know, uh, and I've shared with you one time we were interviewing a deacon and his wife for, you know, t for you know potential being the deacon, and his wife was asked, you know, when did you accept Jesus? And her answer was, I've always been better than everybody I know. And it's like, uh, well, did you understand the question? And we rephrased it for, you know, when did you realize that you were a sinner in need of a savior? 
I've always been better than everybody I know. It became apparent after he asked her three times that she did not know Jesus. At least in any kind, because we tried to rephrase it. Maybe you didn't understand the question. You know, it's, but she was depending on her works. She had grown up in a church. She was there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, any, any special event. Anybody looking at her would have said, this is a really wonderful Christian. And I didn't know her well enough to know her outside of that, those events. But, but, you know, she never, from what her own words were, she never recognized she was a sinner in need of a savior. And there's a lot of people in our churches that are like that, that don't recognize that they need a savior. And there are a tree out there that's rotting from the inside. And there's some trees out there that, you know, every once in a while they fall apart and you realize that they have been dead on the inside for a long time. Yeah, there's been a few leaves on it, you know, but nothing, you know, but they are totally rotted on the inside because they're not receiving life. And this is where we're at. Yeah. So that would include that once they die, yeah, because there's no fruit and it's dug up, they still are not going to be able to have eternal life because they've. Most likely they never had eternal life right. to begin with. So they were dead on the inside. They were dead on the inside. They looked good. They looked like a nice tree, but they were dead and never, and never had life. And this is the problem we have out there is that sometimes, and this is what Jesus said with the, the parable of the weed and the tares. And he told them, don't tear, just tear up the tares right now because you might tear up the, the wheat. And he goes, just wait. We will sort them out at harvest. And there are many people in churches that look like good Christians. And I can't judge them. Maybe they are, maybe they're not. But then you watch them fall away. You watch the, watch the fruit of their life is destructive to the church, not productive to the church. And I can't say that they're, they're dead dead, but every indication of their fruit is that they're a tear rather than a choice piece of wheat. Now, the sad thing is you've also got wheat out there that are not producing very much either because they're not fully tied in with God and being drawn all their life from it. And this is why our job as Christians is not to go around saying, well, you're a Christian, you're not a Christian, you're a Christian, you're not a Christian. It's not our job. Our job is to edify, build up. Now, if we see somebody who is apparently tearing down and, and not somebody we want to hang out with, don't hang out with them. <laughs> it's not that hard. There are many people in churches that I have been in in the past where I'm just saying, I don't want to deal with this person. Now, as a pastor, I have a different, <laughs> different regard. But, you know, during times there were some people I'm going, this person is just so negative and tearing things down. I don't want to deal with them. I'm not going to hang around with, I'm not going to hang around with them. I'm not listening to them. And a couple of them I even told, you know, I'm not going to be around you because you are attacking leaders and there are consequences for attacking leaders. And, there was one man in particular in my time that we actually, the head deacon and I, and I wasn't a deacon at the time, but we went to talk to him because he was criticizing the pastor all the time to everybody. 
And so we went to him with scripture saying, you cannot be attacking the pastor like this behind his back and tearing him down and, and making him look bad. There are consequences for that. He never listened and there were consequences for it. You know, he got sick, his marriage fell, fell apart, his business fell apart, two of his sons died, and, you know, and then he really got sick. And it's like, I'm absolutely sure it's because he did not repent of his attacking of the church leadership. You know, but that was our job to go tell him, you've got to stop what you're doing. Now, this is something that's important for us. How are we responding to godly counsel? There's consequences, and his was harsh. You know, it would have been bad enough he was just attacking people in the church, but he was attacking the leader of the church, and that pastor was a good pastor. I mean, had his problems like all pastors do, but he was a good pastor. He was trying hard to do his job. He was a good teacher. He had things that I didn't disagree with, but when I disagreed with him, I went to him, and I talked to him. This guy was attacking him as a leader, not just what he was teaching. But we need to be careful. Who do we go to? You know, we need to go to the person that we have a problem with and address that problem. Not try to sink them around, around the church by going to talk to everybody else. And this is not, not just a scriptural thing, but this is just a good policy thing. But it is definitely what the Bible talks about. Don't be that coral, coral reef that's going to sink the ship. All right? And there have been many businesses, many churches that have been sunk by this kind of thing going on. And it's very important for us to say, no, it's not going to happen. Verse 13 says, raging, the same, talking about the same people, they're raging waves of the sea, foaming out their shame. So this is kind of interesting, savage, fierce waves <laughs> foaming. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever lived near, near an ocean or everything, but you know, it's, most people stay out of the water <laughs> when the waves are, are surging and, and, and savage and all of that. Now, there are some crazy people that are usually surfers that want to get out on those big waves, but most of the people don't want to be there, and a lot of people lose their lives in that kind of water. And if you're out at sea in those kind of waters, you just kind of you hope that your boat is seaworthy and that you have a good captain to keep the, keep the bow going into the waves and not get hit broadside. But he says, these people are like these foamy waves and just crashing around and they have no shame in what they're doing. And this is kind of an interesting thing. They have no dishonor, no, 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 no shame. Uh, and this is a sad thing when people are able to do things and not feel the guilt. They're tearing people down and don't feel like they're doing anything wrong. In the business world, you see it a lot. Somebody who's ambitious, trying to climb, and they tear everybody down above them. Then when they finally get to the top, they wonder why they have no support. Because they tore up everybody on the way up and nobody wants to help them because they, don't, they have not cared for them. And this is the type of person, they come in there, they cause great waves. And, and we've all known people, you know, I've known people that they aren't happy if there's not, there's not disaster and, and problems going on around them. You know, and it's like, 
Everybody's talking, everybody's having a good time, and this person shows up and starts just ripping everybody and causing everybody to not like what's going on. And, you know, they, they come in and a storm brews. <laughs> and they don't even understand what's going on. I, at least I hope they don't understand what's going on. Uh, but there are, and I've had this in businesses times, everything's going really good, and then one person shows up. And all of a sudden, everybody's at, on edge because of this person showing up. And causing these storms, these waves, this foaming of the waves. Uh, Thirteen? Raging waves of the sea foaming out their own shame. So they're, they're, if they've been hidden as reefs, now it's obvious foam. Somewhat for some people. They know that cause, they, they cause problems. This is the other extreme. Because you have some people who like to stay hidden. You have some who are way out in the open. And usually one will lead to the other. And even in the ocean, uh, where the reefs are, the waves break. Uh, so when I lived in Guam, we would see the reef was out about 300 yards from the shore, and all the waves broke right at the reef. So you could see that's where you didn't, you know, if you were on a boat or something, I don't want to be out there. I don't want to be out there where everything's breaking and everything's getting to be a mess. And it's the same thing if you don't have reefs, the waves come inshore, they get to the shallow water, and then they break. The waves always break at the shallow. And so this is the same type of people. Their, their waves end up breaking over them. Sometimes it's the same people, sometimes it's different people. Sometimes it's the ones that they've agitated. They've agitated and those are the ones that respond, respond and break and they're still down there in the bottom kind of hiding and sometimes it's them that, that, that hide and, and break, but there's still no shame in all of what's going on. And it's a sad thing because churches have been destroyed, businesses have been destroyed, families have been destroyed from all of this kind of stuff that goes on. Telling people things that they don't need to know, uh, uh, talking to the wrong people. There is a time for you to talk to somebody, but make sure that it's the right somebody, like the person who is causing the problem in the first place. Or, or the person that you have a problem with. The, the only issue is that most people don't have enough courage to go talk to the person that they have the problem with. And what's even worse, and I've seen this happen too, somebody has a problem with the pastor, so they leave the church, they go to another church, and they start talking about the pastor at the previous church. You know, and that's a really sad thing, because I have met people that are angry with somebody that they don't even know because of all the negativity that they've been told about that person from somebody. Uh, and that's a really sad thing. You don't even know the person. If I met them on the street, I would probably like them. But as soon as I learn their name, because somebody else has been tearing them apart, it's like, oh, can't like you. And I've actually seen that happen, where somebody met them not knowing who it was. You know, this person's been talking to them for six months to a year and tearing them apart. They meet them somehow somewhere else, and they like the person. They think they're really wonderful. And then all of a sudden, they realize, oh, this is the person that so-and-so has been telling me about. And usually they go with what they've been told about by their friend rather than what they've experienced. It's a sad thing, and this is how destructive these type of people are. Because, number one, they don't understand. You know, they don't understand what they're doing. 
in most cases, at least I hope. I really hope that they're not being really vengeful and trying to destroy people. I think, that, I think in many cases they're just venting. They're upset with somebody, they don't like them, and they just vent. But they don't understand the damage they're doing to that person's character, what they're doing to the other person's understanding of that person who's possibly never even met them. It's a dangerous thing to be doing. All of this gossip is something that can really harm anything, a church, a family, anything that's out there. And it says they are wandering stars. Now, this is kind of an interesting thought process. Wandering stars are the planets, if you know astronomy. And you look up at the constellations, and there's your constellations. If you, you get to know the constellations, if you pay attention to the constellations and the stars. And every once in a while, you see these extra little stars <laughs> that, that after a while, you know that they're the planets. They follow a different route. They look like stars in the distance. He goes, they are wandering stars. They're causing problems with the stability of what's going on. And, you know, he says, and he says they are reserved, and to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Eternal punishment. You know, if they're not saved, they're not, they're not following God, their destination is hell. And this is the problem that we have with these tares. You know, go back to the parable of Jesus, the tares. They look like Christians. They might even act better, better like Christians than Christians do. You know, and this is the sad thing because sometimes these people, they look so wonderful. They're in Sunday school every single week. They're in Sunday service every single week. They're at Sunday night service. They're at Wednesday night service. They're at the prayer sessions. They're at, they're at the work parties. They are at everything looking so wonderful. But you look at their life, and their life is not being changed. They're, they're just not being changed inside. They do lots of good works. They're... they're something that is seen and yet they're headed to hell and trying to drag people with them without knowing it and this is the sad thing about them there's spots upon the church they're the they're the coral reefs on the church trying to sink people's lives and not even realizing it in most cases they're just there doing their thing listening to the wrong wrong head and causing problems and we need to be very careful and sensitive you know there are people in my in this church right here that I'm very sure are saved because I've watched the changes in their lives there's certain people I look at them going okay God I haven't seen a whole lot of change you know it's not my job to judge them there's some people that I just am I'm very sure the spirit the spirit in there says this person saved and I'm seeing the changes in their life and the growth in their life, and then there's others that have been here for a while, and I'm going, okay, God, you know whether they're saved or not. It's not my job. I'm just going to keep speaking the truth. But I'm not seeing any fruit. I'm not seeing any change. And it's a wonderful thing. It's not my job to judge, but my job is just say, God, you know. But I love it when I do see the fruit being changed in people and the growth that comes out and the changes in people's lives and the more that they're following God and going, all right, 
Here's somebody that really is responding. The fruit is coming out. You know, and we all know, you know, if you've done any garden, and I do very little gardening because I've already said I've got a black thumb, so I don't like to grow, try to grow anything because if I try to grow it, it dies. I can kind of do a garden a little bit because I could just pull the weeds and leave, you know, leave everything else, and eventually I might get a few things produced out of my garden. Uh, we planted uh, jalapenos one time, and I think we harvested three, three jalapenos out of the whole bush. Uh, Tomatoes once or twice and got three or four tomatoes. <laughs> I am not a gardener. Uh, I leave that to Lynn. <laughs> let her let her be the gardener. But if I t touch it, it's not going to be it, it's not going to be good. But you know, you're sitting there watching it. You're watching the the flower come up. Then you're watching that flower turn into a to a fruit or a vegetable, and then eventually you're able to pick the vegetable and the fruit. And you can see that in people's lives. You can see those flowers come up. You can see the fruit being produced. And you're going, okay, God, we've got something there. There's something there that is real. Then you've got other people. It's like, okay, look like a nice, look like a nice plant. <laughs> haven't seen any flowers. Haven't seen any fruit. And it's not my judgment. That's God. God may see fruit in, in flowers that I don't see. So that's one, why it's very careful that we don't sit there and judge other people because we're not in a position to know what's going on we don't know what's going to happen in the future maybe we're dealing with somebody when they're a baby Christian and the seeds are just being planted in their life and if we know them 30 or 40 years later we might see all of a sudden all this fruit being produced from their life that was planted in at an early age we don't know what's going on, and it's very important that we aren't sitting there judging one another because it is all by grace. And this is so important for us to look at. Um, but these, he says, these people are reserved for darkness. God will, at the white throne judgment, send them to the, di the direction they're supposed to be. He knows. He will separate the wheat from the tares at the right time. The wheat will go to the, being the seed of Christ. The tares will be at the white throne judgment and cast into hell to be burned for eternity. And it's not our job to figure out who, who's who. Our job is to avoid those who are going to be troubled. Whether they're Christians or not, <laughs> avoid those who are are causing trouble. Don't hang out with all, with all those ones that are going to cause trouble. Seek after godly counsel. Love them. Be nice to them. Be kind to them. But I've said this over and over. We need people that are not Christians to be able to evangelize. If my whole life is wrapped up only in the church, and unfortunately have been a Christian as long as I am, most of my life is wrapped up in the church, it's hard to evangelize when you're in the church because most of the people in the church are, are saved. All right? That's why, in one sense, I'm really glad to be out of the prison. There's lots of unsaved people out of the prison. Lots of people to be able to witness to. And we need to be able to understand we need to deal with the world. But should the world be our best friends? No. Our counselors? Absolutely not. Our best friends, our counselors, should be within the church saying, 
I'm going to get godly counsel, hopefully, from the individuals of the church. And I'm going to evangelize outside. I'm going to be more on my guard outside. Now, that doesn't mean we can be totally off guard in the, in the church because there are a lot of tares in the churches as well. And we need to be careful. We're going to get ungodly counsel in church, unfortunately, if we're not careful. But we can let down some of our guard. We can let down and say, this is, this is where I feel a little safer than when I'm out in the world amongst all the waves and the, and, the, and the coral and all of this stuff that's out there and say, I'm going to be careful because these ones, he's saying, they're in the church. They're in the church. Who did Paul have the biggest problem with every time he evangelized? He'd go out to the churches. He'd give the gospel message. They'd be buying his gospel message. And just before he left or just after he left, the Judaizers came in. And their message was real simple. Well, Paul gave you a really good message. It is all about grace, but he didn't give you the whole story. You've got to live by the laws of God. You need to do this, that, and the other thing to really please God. It's not, you're not saved by grace and grace alone. You've got to do all of these other, other things. And we need to be careful even in our own life. How many times do we act as our own Judaizers and try to go, all right, God, I know I'm saved by grace, but uh, I'm not witnessing enough. I'm not praying enough. I'm not reading my Bible enough. I'm not going to church enough. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. And they put in there whatever it is. And we need to be very careful that we're living by grace and liberty of God, not by a bunch of rules. Now, you all know I'm a firm believer that we should be reading our Bible every day. We should be looking at getting through the Bible once a year. We should be at Bible studies. We should be living for God. But none of that gets us saved. None of that gets us into heaven. None of that makes God love us more. We do all of that stuff because he is living in us. He is changing us. And we want that fellowship with him. And there's great benefit in it. But none of it is something that gets me closer to God because I'm doing it. Now, there are some churches out there that will teach you just those things. You know, you'll learn very quickly what you're supposed to do to be a good Christian in that church. Now, um, you know, back in the 50s, you know, it was, you know, men did not have long hair. They came to church in their, in their sports jackets and their ties and all dressed out. Ladies, don't even come to, don't even come to church in your pants and your, you know, without your dresses and your hair and your and no makeup in many of those churches, and you had your hat on, and, and you didn't go to the movies, you didn't play cards, you didn't do a whole bunch of stuff, and if you did all of those things, you were a good Christian. But it was all by grace. They'd tell you it was all by grace, but you had to do all of these things to be a good Christian. Be very careful of those churches. The biggest problem that the, the founding fathers of Protestant had was it's by grace alone. And they were leaving the Catholic Church, which was all about works. And they're going, it's all about grace. And now we're building back into this whole idea that there's all these works that you have to do to be saved. Well, the only thing that gets us saved is belief in Jesus Christ. Now, the fruit should be there. We should see fruit. We should be able to look at our life and see fruit being developed. And we need to make sure that we are looking at, you know, we are to, especially on our own life, am I producing fruit? Am I growing closer to Christ through my daily life? 
But we can't be judging other people by, by that standard because they stand and fall before God, not, not ourselves. And this is something he's warning them, be careful, but he's also saying, you know, also letting them know that there's a point in there that's a problem. And this is what James is all about. You know, James said, show me your faith by your work, uh, without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. And basically saying, you're going to have a hard time proving that you have faith without showing works. Um, but he wasn't saying that faith, you know, that works got you into heaven or pleased God. He was just saying, you're going to have a hard time proving that you have faith without having works and having fruit. And this is something we need to be able to understand our job is we can look and say, this person doesn't seem to have fruit. And I will treat them more like a lost person than a saved person if I don't see fruit. I'm not saying they're not saved. I'm just saying I will treat them more like somebody who needs to hear the gospel than, not hear, than, than somebody who needs to be built up and edified according to the Holy Spirit. But if they have the Holy Spirit working in them and you see it, now I can give them godly counsel, I can help them out, I can point them to God's word and say, all right, there's fruit. Easy, I see the, the works, I see the right direction. But the other problem with works is sometimes those works don't mean anything. <laughs> you know, sometimes there's some people that are just really good disciplined people and they look like they're wheat when they're tares and unfortunately, sometimes those people look like they're better Christians. That's kind of an amazing thing to me is that like we know that we are saved by grace and we have liberty. And we don't always live the same way that the world expects us to live. Now, the world has way too high an expectation of us. They expect us to be perfect. And we're never going to be perfect. But unfortunately, a lot of times the tares look as close to perfect as humanly possible. And we need to be careful about this. Look at the spirit behind what's being done. And a lot of times the tears will be going, look at me, you know, I'm really good, you know, just pay attention to all the good stuff that I'm doing. And you're going, okay, this was the scribes and the Pharisees. Look at us, we're the paragons of virtue. And, you know, we always make, you know, try to look down on them, but there were many of those, especially Pharisees, that were honestly seeking God. Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, we, we see several of them that were really wanting to follow God. Now they got wrapped up in their legalism and their rules and everything, but they really wanted to know God. So we want to be careful. Even if somebody is really following the rules and they're bound up in legalism, they may still be a Christian, but wrapped up in the wrong way of living. And, you know, Christianity should be something that is freeing and liberating because we're not bound up by law. As we get to know God and he changes us from the inside, we will start following the law better than anybody else could follow the law. But it's for a whole different reason. The Holy Spirit changes us from the inside out. You know, we, are, we place ourself inside the Holy Spirit and then he pickles us into being him. You know, and this is so important for us. He changes us. And that's why I say it's, it's not hard to be a Christian. We just surrender and say, I'm going to stay in the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit eventually changes us to be more like him. And then we have our change of heart 
and we start acting more like God over time, not because I'm striving or fighting it, but because I am a new creation in Christ and I am being changed in a great way. And this is one of the things that I say when I see people, I fully believe that when you get saved, at least one thing changes in your life. Now I've seen people who have lots and lots, you know, dramatic changes, but I've seen other people who have just had one fairly major thing change in their life and you go, what changed when you got saved? Now, it could be as simple as I love, I can understand God's word now. And I couldn't understand it before that. I love coming to church. God took this sin out of my life. You know, uh, you know when I got saved, God took my temper away from me. Now, I still have a bit of a temper, but nothing like what I used to have. But what did God change instantly, and what has he changed over a long period of time? Now, I've watched God change me drastically over 50 years in many, many, many ways. And I'm watching as he changes various people in this church, and you're seeing the changes that are just, not just them, but you can see the changes are real. And you know that God is working. And that is what we're looking for. What is God changing in us that is no longer me trying to, to get out of the wrong, but watching God work? And this is what's important for us. What is God working in our life? Because he will be the one changing us so that we're not disruptors. We're not tares. And this is the beauty of this uh, whole thing is the tear has judgment waiting for them. And a lot of it is those tares are not innocent bystanders in most churches. They go after the weak ones and, and the weak ones follow after them. Now, if they come across a good, strong Christian, you won't even know they're a tear because they're not even going to try to talk to you. They're going to ignore you. They, they want to cause problems with those who will listen, those who will be swayed and follow after them. This is why they're people who aren't watching, you know, that are sailing their ship right into the, cor right into the sandbars, right into the coral reef, and then wondering why their ship fell apart. I just don't know why my boat got this hole in the bottom of it. I was just sailing along in this beautiful water, and the next thing I know, there's a hole in the bottom of my ship. Yeah, well, you might have wanted to look at the water just a little bit and see the breakers and see the, see the swirls. You know, and we want to be very careful about who are we listening to? What are we getting involved with? Are we dealing with the ones that are the spots, the, the tears, the... The, the sandbars, the coral, or are we trying to stay back from them? A lot of people go, well, I'm going to change them. It's not your job to change them. Talk kindly to them, give them the gospel, but don't, don't sit there and try to talk. Don't listen to all their, all their problems and stuff because it just won't work. My experience with them is they're not going to change. And unfortunately, evil usually pulls good down, good rarely pulls the evil up. Rarely. This is the problem with missionary dating or missionary marriages where I'm going to marry them and they're going to get saved. Well, maybe in less than 10%, but that's not a gamble that I'd want to post my whole life on. It's not worth it. And so we want to be able to watch who it is that we're dealing with and make sure that we're not going to get pulled into 
the sandbars into the into the into the coral. Lord, we ask you to bless this evening, this this week as we go about our business. Help us to follow you in all that we do. We ask you to guide and lead us this week, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, do you know God? Not just know about him. Today is the day to decide to become his child. God loves you, and Jesus came to die for your sins. In Romans 3.23, we are told, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. God says the penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We sin and deserve death and hell. However, Romans 5.8 says, But God commended his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you so much, he died for us so that we can be forgiven and have eternal life. How do we do this? Romans 10, 9 through 8 says that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Today is that day for you to come to God and truly know him. Do you know him? Do you want to know him? Pray in your own words like this, God, I know that I am a sinner and deserve punishment. I believe that Jesus died to pay my sins. Forgive me and help me to turn from my sins and to live for you. If you have asked this of God and truly believe you are God's child and part of of his family, we encourage you to do these things. First, tell somebody that you are saved. Second, start reading the Bible each day. We recommend starting with Ephesians and then the Gospel of John. Find a good Bible teaching church. If this is your, your day of salvation, you can contact us and we will send you a booklet to get started on your new life and are available to help you with any questions you have about the Bible. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by mail at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431.